Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right, team, I am here with Ian Villa, COO, co-founder, chief product officer, Whisper Arrow, here in the booming metropolis of Crossville, Tennessee. That's right. At one of many facilities. Brother, so good to see you, man, and thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. I, you got, so we've done these pods, many of them now, and I will say this was a special treat because, and we're going to share some videos and share some extra content on this particular episode, but y'all were, you and your team were so gracious showing us around at least one of three locations that you currently have in this near vicinity area. Um, and I'll tell you, man, just seeing this stuff in real life, we've talked beforehand, yep. but this stuff, even what we have behind us right now, it's really neat, man, the stuff y'all are working cool on. stuff. Yeah. Had to show you around. I mean, there's just like so much context setting. I think the tech is really cool, but seeing how we've built it and getting to know the team and getting to like really feel it, that's, that's important, right? Yeah. I mean, anyone can go Google search, check out our website. It's a whole different feeling to see and hear and experience the tech uh, it just makes it so much more real and i think you know with any new innovation you have to really feel it you have to really get in front of it before you you really understand what the future looks like yeah i mean you got y'all are i mean as soon as we drove in your teammates man have a they're definitely you can tell there's this hunger super nice man i mean everybody was they wanted to ask us about our van and our dog and like it's just y'all have a great they still team. want to yeah <laughs> y'all have great you can tell y'all t- have a high you know bar for the talent you bring holistically um and the stuff y'all are working out is incredible but let me kick off with this man before we get too far into this conversation let me tell let me tell our audience a little bit about who ian is just kind of some background there please fill in any missing gaps in your rap sheet man and then we're going to get into everything from thrust innovation to the man behind you know one of the guys behind all this stuff but so just as a cliff notes version of who ian is obviously went through coo cpo co-founder of this company but also before that man i mean just an incredible action-packed uh technical slash uh startup slash tech background man and what i will tell folks is when you, if I were to meet you somewhere downtown Nashville, grabbing a beer and barbecue, I would have never known, and no offense to anybody who has this pedigree, that you grew up this way. This is a double-time Stanford guy, right? And is aeronautics in both degrees? Or Air like, Astro in both, yeah. Okay, Air and Astro in both, man. Yeah. So undergrad and master's. Then you went on to do really great stuff. I mean, everything from Northrop Grumman. So you've done the mature, established type company to Uber and Uber Elevate, running head of strategy there and some other things that you had along the way, really creating a new kind of way to think about how you use the air, the airways above us to create value to customers. And then you moved along with the current CEO, Mark, to this new venture here, Whisper Arrow, which y'all are changing the way we think about propulsion. I know there's a lot of stuff in between, but I will tell you that if someone were to give me a resume like that, I'd go, Probably can't hang out with that person, man. I don't know if they're going to be into barbecue and beer and do whatever. You've been gracious, man, with your time and down to earth. And what I've always found remarkable about folks like you is that you've, you are working on some complicated stuff. And you've really been able to figure out how to approach people and tell them in a very easygoing way, like, 
simplify what it is. So thanks for doing that, man. And did I miss anything of highlights on that? No, on that you reel? did a great job. You okay. did a great job. Appreciate it. No, you're yeah. welcome, man. Well, tell me a little bit about Ian, man. Where'd you grow up, right? Like what is, you know, we're in Tennessee now, which is seems mm -hmm. far and away from a, where a guy like, so just tell me a little bit about your background and how the heck you got into this world of arrow and dealing with propulsion. For sure. Yeah. So born in Long Beach, California. Uh, grew up in Chicago, Illinois for a little bit. My parents moved out there for work. Ended up moving back to California for high school. Uh, and then that was in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, and then moved up to the Bay for, for Stanford. Uh, that was really exciting. And then I was, you know, bouncing back in California for a bit, you know, working at Northrop, uh, moved back up for Uber. I had a small stint in Dallas. Uh, and then while I was at Uber, I would fly around a lot. Uh, just meeting all these aircraft companies we were working at from Boeing to Bell. Spent a three-month stint in South Korea helping bring oh, the really? Hyundai. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. just got back from there, man. Really? Literally. Uh, we were in Seoul, and then we were up in the northern, eastern part there in the mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Epic. So what were you doing out there? Hyundai? Hyundai. Okay. Yeah. And um, see, in the States, we only think it's cars. It's but everything. It's everything. It's over everything. There. Yeah, yeah. It's shipping. It's logistics. They own shopping malls. Like It's exactly. everything, man. Yeah. So you're doing a propulsion out there, is that why, or something we, different? That was back when nobody knew Hyundai was interested in in aircraft, okay. in the future of air mobility. Yeah. And uh, I just remember, you know, got a ring one day, and Mark, CEO, whisper, he's like, "Hey, we gotta, we gotta make Hyundai into uh, an aircraft, you know, OEM for yeah. urban air mobility." And the funny thing is, like, thinking about that now, it didn't even sound far fetched at the time. I was just like, "All right, let's do it." And uh, now today, you see their website. They're very established startup now. Um, probably like 300, 400 employees. But back then, it was there was nobody. And we brought you know, 10, 15 of our guys from from Uber, flew them out to Seoul, met with their team, um, and then over the course of a few months, uh, brought all of that up to speed. And then CES 2020 revealed their first sort of EV tall concept. Wow, man. I mean, you've had quite the run. Tell me a little bit more about, like, the first thing out the gate was Northrop. Yeah. Grumman. Yeah. Give me just a little bit about what you were doing there. And I'm just really fascinated because I think about where you're at today in this really scrappy um, startup that has a lot of, I mean, you guys still have a lot of grit and talent and you got a lot of horsepower behind this thing, but it's, we're walking around these warehouses and I'm like, man, these folks, they're in the, they're in the trenches, right? Oh yeah. It's you awesome. roll up your sleeves. You roll up your sleeves yeah, here. People are literally getting dirty. It's awesome. Yeah. But you, you grew up in this very mature corporate, huge organization. What was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think even before Northrop, I knew I wanted to get into aircraft design. I knew I wanted to solve really tough problems. And again, there was that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And so, even though it was big Northrop, the division I entered was advanced design. And so this is like their skunk works, working new programs no, that's cool. from, you know, subsonic all the way to supersonic, manned, unmanned uh, aircraft, some of them even quiet. Uh, and so that was, you know, while it is kind of corporate and bureaucratic and certainly slower than whisper, it was still a really good area to cut your teeth, to learn how to you know, move fast on complex, uh, really difficult aircraft. And you learn a lot of, of things, you know, solving really tough challenges, managing really big teams, um, and really towards aviation problems that you otherwise would not be able to be a part of. 
Um, you, you get to work with some of the greats, some of the people that worked on B2 and Have Blue and YF-23 fighter jets, um, where you otherwise would just have no access to that. Yeah. So it was a really great experience. And even though it might have been slower, you just it's a really good way to learn good habits from a problem-solving perspective and then from a company-building perspective, actually understand what are the things that actually make scale and big organizations run, and then what are the things you actually don't like and mm. they're kind of old and, and you can do away with. I bet you did, I bet you what you just said about the business stuff really helps you kind of backwards engineer, even whisper, right? You kind of go, okay, that's what success looks like with a long-tenured company. What are the things you think about as you're building out Whisper that you take from Northrop that you go, maybe we're not ready for it yet, but I want to make sure this is part of the DNA 15, 10, 15 years from now. Totally. I mean, one of the big things for us is, uh, you know, make sure you have really strong documentation. Okay. Make sure that you are able to make, you know, everybody on day one as effective as they can be. And so one of the things that we've spent a lot of time investing in is just internal documentation and really strong tools and providing all the means for somebody on day one, on week one, to be empowered to build and to be productive and value add to the team. Um, you know, you go to a big corporate and they've got wikis and things aren't up to date and things are really tough to find and you don't know who owns what. Mm. And so just structurally, like being an operator at a startup, the things you do even on your earliest days to build that foundation up and in such a way that scales, really important. And then I think for us as Whisper right now, you know, we just raised an A, we're in this, what we call like the messy middle, where you're you're not small enough where everybody can ha be in the same room for a meeting, but you're not large enough where everybody's comfortable not being in that meeting. And so from like 20 to 100 people, we're in that messy middle, navigating that space, trying to build up processes that scale, but still keeping that really, you know, small team vibe and also the agility, the agility and the speed that you need to really out-innovate uh, and continue to outpace our peers. I mean, it's it's cool, man, to be in your in uh, being in your shoes. It's really neat to almost have some of these cheat codes, answers for later. Yeah, you know, and you're yeah. you know, you and you still got to go through. I like what you said about the messy middle. Like you know, that's just that's part of life here in this world. But you also recognize that we'll get out of it, and, mm -hmm. and as soon as we do, we just better be ready for it. How did your time as you moved into Uber Elevate? First of all, maybe tell some tell folks what that is because they sure. think Uber and they go cars or eats. Like, yeah. am I ordering something? And this is something totally different. So explain that, and then explain just a little bit about kind of your role there. Yeah. So in 2016, my co-founder for Whisper, Mark, he pitched the CEO of Uber at the time on this vision, on this vision for you know how can we take innovations in electric propulsion and apply them to the future of mobility, to move people and things through the air every single day. And it stuck. And so in 20 2016, Mark started Uber Elevate. Uh, and it was this division focused on everything that could move through the air that Uber was interested in, whether that was delivering food or goods by air or air taxis in cities. Um, and we were even exploring, you know, regional jets. How can we actually connect all of these city markets to one another and ultimately provide a, a better experience for our, all our riders and all our eaters um, and make transportation as accessible as running water? Yeah. So you, I mean, it's a, 
it's such a it's it's such a in in weird way it's such an intuitive thing to think about mm -hmm. but they must have thought i mean people probably must have thought that was a crazy idea oh yeah like what are you even talking about yeah. right i mean it works fine right or whatever <laughs> you know i don't even know what you're talking you know yeah do you feel like that just kind of being in mark's shoes for a second do you feel like that idea had you know that who it was getting pitched to really mattered oh totally yeah. i mean mark is an og so even before uber mark is you know the godfather of electric propulsion and so he was fighting the good fight for about a decade selling trying to sell people on a vision yeah and with any innovation when you when you tell people about the future there's always naysayers and there's always more naysayers than there are people that believe but then you get to a point where the technology starts to become real and the visionaries that are amongst us start to catch on and put the, the pieces together and realize, well, yeah, it didn't work before, but if these things are true, then yes, the future could be unlocked and here's how it looks different. And so, you know, at that stage, I think, you know, Uber CEO, the macroeconomic environment, you know, self-driving cars were becoming more of a thing. There was a, a lot of optimism, a lot of investment driving into the space. And so, it was just this right time period where flying cars, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, it didn't sound far-fetched. And the makings of it, all the technology proof points were starting to come about and you could see it. Um, and so you've just seen this tremendous wave that people have, have rode. Um, and we're, we're still just at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, it, it, it's a fun ride and I think there's a lot more to still do. Um, but it's exciting just seeing people go from that will never work to now oh uh i want to be in that and i i'll probably be in that next year or the yeah. year after you said mark is og just to give a little context to him and this is a long-term nasa guy who has done a lot of stuff in the space of moving things through the air and beyond right yeah 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 32 years at nasa um he was there when a lot of this foundational vertical takeoff and landing work was being explored at Ames. And then he moved to Langley where he's able to, you know, start the makings of, of more on-demand mobility. And back then they were looking at everything from, you know, how can we take the same kind of engines that would be in your car, place that into commuter aircraft and be able to fly uh, every day. And, you know, you take a look at that problem, you think about how can we continue to use the skies every single day for decades. Yeah. And you start to chip away at something that sounds like science fiction to now what is really science fact. And it's no longer, is this possible? It's when is this possible? And it's, you know, okay, great. These technologies exist, but how can we make this for the masses? How can we make this equitable? How can we make this cleaner, more efficient, quieter? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how you go from a really cool idea to now Whisper, which we believe is the next generation of propulsion and a game changer and, and really the true unlock for scale, whether you're looking at drones or large scale jets and really anything that moves air. Oh man, well, before we dive into Whisper, cause I think what y'all are working on is, is unreal. I mean, even as we're sitting right here and I'm looking at, you just explained this to us early on today mm -hmm. and I kind of had an idea and I was like, it's gotta be beautiful, but I don't know. It sounds a little bit like goofy just because like when you think about putting all these, all these different engines on a wing, it doesn't sound, and you're looking at this thing, it's like, this is beautiful, man. So I, I would definitely want to dive into it, but just one more thing I want to fill in is at Uber Elevate, what was your main, your main, Ian's main role there? Yeah. 
And then what did you pull from there that eventually, you know, in addition to you and Mark coming over, um, but what did you pull from there similar to Northrop that helped you with building, you know, what are the lessons learned? You're like, okay, I definitely want to take this into Whisper. Yeah. So Uber Elevate was like the startup inside the startup. Okay. Before Uber was even IPO'd. And so when I, when the opportunity came to me, uh, I was the seventh person to join. When the opportunity came, um, I realized, okay, this is my, my opportunity to, to, you know, not just join a cool company and a cool mission, but to actually learn, you know, if I want to be an entrepreneur, like let's use this sandbox to build up those skills. Northrop provided me the big company understandings and all the things I probably should and should not do um, for a slow and bureaucratic older organization. This is a fast moving, really hot startup making a lot of waves. How do I go and learn how to do exactly that, but apply it to hardware? And that's what made Elevate really exciting. So even within Elevate, learned a bunch of things. Uh, started off in the vehicle engineering team with Mark, got to lead all of our aircraft partnerships, bringing in Bell and Boeing and Hyundai and a bunch of other players into the space. Um, but, you know, also, you know, you get, a, you get a little taste of legal. You get to learn how to form an IP strategy. You learn how a, a comm strategy should be uh, built up. You learn how uh, to lead people, to be led, uh, to form product requirements documents. And then uh, ultimately when you take all those skills and they culminate um, to rise up to newer challenges. And by the end of it, I was the head of strategy. Um, we built uh, the largest simulation framework for anything that would move um, the future of aviation through the sky. And we took billions of Uber trips, billions of non-Uber trips, and all these models internally to really understand what the future looked like, um, which was just super cool. So there's no way going into Elevate I knew I was going to do any of these things. I just yeah. thought, cool opportunity. Um, and when you lean in, you, you're able to just tackle a lot of different problems and learn a whole bunch. When you At Uber Elevate, as you were thinking about kind of what, what's happening next, mm -hmm. was... Uber Elevate eventually going to Joby Aviation and y'all exiting there and selling out, you know, or selling, not selling out, <laughs> selling to or them acquiring however you want to do it. Yeah. You guys are definitely not. So it feels like a, uh, uh, what was the band there? The, when people are like, oh, Nickelback, you're a bunch of sellouts. Like, I don't see uh, that for you guys at all. You guys are very true. Not trying to be Nickelback. I mean, no, no offense to Nickelback fans out there, but not trying to be Nickelback. No, man. Y'all are, <laughs> I, I mean, just meeting y'all are like the absolute opposite of any kind of sellout. But when y'all ended up, you know, parting ways with it. Joby Aviation, I think, is or Joby is. Who ended yeah, up. yeah. Was that the impetus for you to go? Okay, what's next? Or did you go? Maybe I'll hang out here for a little longer. How did that? How did that? You know, milestone or jumping stone to whisper eventually sure. happen? So Mark and I always had a feeling that there was going to be more. Yeah. Um, Mark certainly knew way ahead of time. <laughs> um, he he always knew noise was this key unlock. Yeah. And the trick is, you know, how could you be so quiet that you can fit into the soundscapes of your everyday life? And at first it was intuition. It was intuition built upon, you know, decades of experience. But when I started leading the strategy team and we built together the simulation framework and started looking at the results, the big thing that we found is that noise was this key barrier to scale. Nobody was solving, not nearly well enough. It didn't matter whether you're in LA or a suburban area or you know, the UK, or Japan, or South Korea. Uh, it didn't matter whether you're looking at large EV tall or drones. 
he had to be quieter because in order to make the movement of people and things through the sky an everyday product for everyone, you have to fly more often, right? Flying more often allows you to amortize the cost. And the only way you fly more often is if you're far quieter. So Whisper came about from this understanding of, you know, not only intuitively should you be quieter to layer in to the soundscapes of your everyday life, it was taking that qualitative understanding and quantifying just how quiet you need to be. And so once you, you took those two, those two insights, we could then say, okay, now we have a target. Now we know what the future of propulsion really needs to be, just how quiet. Um, and we had an inkling of what the tech would be to really unlock that. And that's how Whisper was started. So y'all were talking about this stuff probably during your time at Uber and stuff like that, that, hey, this was oh, always, always. There, there are a few things we would always talk about. It's like, you know, there's the obvious, which is like, okay, here's work. Here's what we have to go do. Yeah. Here, here are the big challenges we're facing. And then we would talk about the book. The book is like, once this is all working and it's an everyday product, you know, what's the novel everyone's going to buy so they learn, uh, you know, the, the stories behind the done. scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, over time there was this understanding. It was like, okay, well, we're going to build this product and, and have all this foundational tech, but this, this is the day one product. This is the, you know, the launch product, but it's going to be very different. It's going to look very different on launch than it does at scale. And so the thing that I don't think everybody fully grasps and people are still learning to, to grasp this is like, truly, how do you scale all these companies that have gotten, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment to go make electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, a reality or drone delivery a reality. It's still early days for them. They're still performing their first flight tests or their initial, you know, flight test experiments. Um, the true test will be the market when yeah. they're trying to move people and things every day and noise is going to hit them hard. And I think there's going to come a point where, where they'll realize we're not quiet enough. We're not efficient enough. And um, we are lucky to have realized that sooner than most and to have built towards scale from the beginning at Whisper um, so that when they're ready to accept this new propulsion tech, we'll have it. And not only will we know what it should look like, but we'll have built prototypes. We'll have flown them on real products uh, and we'll know exactly how they should be integrated for a variety of applications. Where does that come from, man? The ability to be able to think that way. I think that when I'll add this to the question, because I, I think that when you have I've been a part of a lot of organizations, whether it's from tech to CPG companies and you have a great idea, you believe it's going to work. You test it with your family and friends and you like, it sounds good. You test it with a couple more folks and you go, I think this is going to work. And then you start building the thing and then you get in love with the thing. Mm -hmm. And then you end up going like, well, it's got to work. And now I'm going to need it. And then you get it sent to the market yeah. and everybody kind of boos it off stage. Yeah. How do you, what it goes through your mind as Ian to kind of help yourself and your team not get too far ahead of where the market is going to feel like there's a happy marriage, you know, coming in. Yeah. Well, it's tough. I, I think if anyone tells you like, we know exactly how to do it, they're wrong. Um, or they're genius and I, I need to meet them like ASAP and you should probably interview Currently y'all are hiring, right? Whisper. We're hiring. Yeah, that's, that's true. You've got those skills. Um, I think, you know, everybody knows how to form, you, you go to school, you learn how to form a hypothesis and then you test for that hypothesis. I think when you take big audacious, you know, bets and you're trying to figure out how to turn that into a reality, 
there's two things to remember. The first is that you have to make all these hypotheses, stack them, continue to test, and then build upon your learnings to get to what your North Star looks like. But I think the other thing to remember, and this is quite sobering, is like you can't get, you, you can't fall in love with your first idea. Um, you know, even in aircraft design, a lot of people, a lot of really uh, amazing aircraft designers, uh, they'll have some successes, but some every once in a while they'll they'll design something or a mission will come, and they'll design this this what is a beautiful airplane to them, and fall in love with it and forget like okay this this airplane it serves a mission, and so being able to divorce yourself from that and realize the first thing you design not always the best thing to realize that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to be wrong a lot and to build in this kind of like habit or behavior to question yourself in a healthy way and also surround yourself with people that can ask really great questions as well and challenge your assumptions um, I think if you do that then now you have a healthy you know hypothesis prove the hypothesis continue to build and then on top of that don't fall in love with your first idea but keep pushing towards objectively like what is what what do you think your future looks like um, you know we all want to be able to move more freely and to receive goods more f freely right there there is a freedom of movement that that is pure how we do that what that airplane looks like what that drone looks like uh, that's that's what you shouldn't fall in love with at least not your first design yeah no I, how how do you balance it's 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 the iPhone example or the the Ford Model T example, which is like you know, if people wanted if if I asked people what they wanted, I, they would want a faster horse. Yeah. And you know, and we're we're building an automobile, yeah. right? Or, you know, a touchscreen. What you were talking about earlier, people would be asking for better, faster keyboards on their phones as opposed to a touchscreen on their whatever. That's right. How do you, obviously, as a consumer and as someone building stuff for consumers, where does the gut come in? Where does your intuition come in to go in? Okay, I can't. I, how much do I lean into what the customer is going to want, and how much do I need to kind of shine a torch in a way that they don't even know? Yeah, I think you have to have an empathy to really understand your customer's viewpoint, right? To like put yourself in their shoes and realize, like, I actually don't like leaf blowers in the morning. Um, <laughs> but you also have to take this perspective of, okay, yes, I have the empathy of the customer, but I also know something my customers don't. Like, I I understand aerospace in a way that your typical, uh, you know, Sunday morning neighbor does not. And so balancing those two things, understanding how they feel, what they want and when and why, and being able to take your perspective and problem solve and realize that if this technology exists, how would they, how would they frame the problem or how would they look at the future? That's how you're able to kind of realize when is the customer truly right? When is their perspective truly colorful and versus you know when do they not know enough uh and I, I think again if you can go back to how they feel as opposed to what are the specifics of what they want mm. that's when you solve for the right thing because you know let's take it to airplanes when we go to folks and say okay we've got this electric propulsion technology uh, oftentimes they say okay well can you scale it up can you take one of these 10 pound electric ducted fans that you've demonstrated and can you scale it up to thousands of pounds in a single fan and we go and say yeah sure we could do that but you don't want to do that what you really want to do is be able to get to your destination faster 
and and quicker and go you know longer distances and use less energy and if you really want to do that it's not about taking that singular fan and scaling that up it's about distributing it's about leveraging that thrust in a much more synergistic way along your wing um, it's, it's about integrating the technologies in the ways that they want to be integrated not just trying to force a new concept into an old construct um, I, I think that's how you get to really great products and game game-changing innovation not just marginally or incrementally better uh, solutions yeah there's a real partnership and even the way you talk about it there's this relationship you're trying to have it's not you know i'm smarter here it is or tell me what you want and i'll build it it's let's help each other come to a point here that makes sense so that we can go on i've also learned and one of the things you must have probably mentioned three or four times when we were given a tour of this thing is speed is important. You kept saying like, hey man, we gotta keep iterating. We gotta keep moving. It's one of the things you said at Uber that you learned, which was like, and then you can take it to the PhD level because you gotta iterate. It's not on software anymore, it's on hardware. Um, how important is speed? Oh, speed's incredibly important. Uh, for startups, speed is one of your biggest assets, uh, especially when you're an early stage startup. I mean, if you're, if you're coming out the gate, you just raise a pre-seed or a seed round, and you're trying to make things happen. The one thing that you can bet that is sure is that, you know, relative to the size of your team, you can still move faster than even an A or B round company. What you don't have is capital. Um, what you don't have uh, is time. So the ability to move faster and get more things done in that amount of time matters a whole lot. Um, and so, you know, we value our time a whole lot here at Whisper. Um, and it's not just about designing the future propulsion and allowing people to use their time more effectively. Uh, it's about us as designers, as engineers, as builders, knowing how to build smarter. Um, you know, how can we design a million fans in a day and then optimize as opposed to, you know, let's carry two or three designs and hope for the best. So speed, man, it's uh, it's it's important from a building perspective. It's important from a capital constrained perspective and. It reminds me of an example in the service. I remember used to we used to get um, kind of an influx of like new equipment in, and well, new to us, mm -hmm. we get it and we go okay, and you'd open it up, it'd be a new like vest or a new piece of uh, night vision or a new drone or something that we'd use, and you'd be like, well, this ain't gonna this ain't gonna help us anymore. Like the environment's changed, and we yeah. realized because of the bureaucratic process of getting technology through to the front line, we we iterate it, we we explain what we needed. Yeah. They helped us figure out how to go meet that and wherever that happens. And I have friends in that world, so like I kind of know the world. But then by the time it gets to you, you go, well, that's great on the desert plains, but we're in the mountains now, and that doesn't <laughs> work here anymore, you know? So yeah. speed's also important, it sounds like, to meet a market need in time, yeah. right? And not for it to change. 100%. We are all about, you know, how can we deliver product and start generating revenue as quickly as possible? We don't want to try and raise money for a decade and then fingers crossed hope we make some money. Yeah. Uh, how can we leverage, you know, the tech that we've built and the understandings that we've developed over time? How can we use those to build products that are relevant to people today and then build for tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is where if you strive, you know, for perfect, you'll, you know, getting getting to 90% is a lot easier than getting to 100%, right? That's just Pareto principle. So in pursuit of that last 10%, sometimes it's really not worth it. And if you're going to spend another 5, 10 years just to get the extra 10% out, it better be really, really worth it. Um, because getting to 90% shipping 
and then iterating some more, you're going to not only learn a whole lot faster, yeah. you're, you're actually going to make people happy or at least produce a product that people want and then take that product and then build something better that even more people want. Um, and that kind of mentality is something that we, we really understand here. Speaking of what people want, so we go through your facility and we see cutting edge aircraft, turbines, engineers, you got 3D printers going everywhere. I mean, this place looks like NASA. I mean, it's awesome. It's like NASA if NASA was a brewery. Like it has this like <laughs> industrial vibe, you know? Love it, man. I think it's great. Keep the vibes. I hope if I come back here in a year, it doesn't look like NASA. I hope it continues to look like that. But with that said, you walk in and then I see these leaf blowers. Yeah. And I think it, to the extent that you can talk about it, I definitely don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But like Cat's I walk by, the, okay, good. Yeah. Because I walk by and I go, well, that's interesting. It's got... And is this leaning? Can you talk about your leaf blowers? And does this apply to what you just said about like meeting the consumer 100%. and being fast about something they can also use today with our technology? Hundred percent. So, you know, in our our seed round pitch deck, um, believe it or not, we literally had a leaf blower, as well as an HVAC system, as well as you know a number of other fans. And the mission for Whisper is to deliver cleaner, quieter, more efficient thrust at scale. And it's not just about drones. It was never just about drones or about aircraft. It's all these products that move lots of air. Because if we do that, then we can fulfill this vision of like truly leading the electric jet age. And so for us, the leaf blower is really interesting because one, it's a product that everybody understands. Mm -hmm. Two, it was actually the same kind of thrust class as what we had already prototyped and been flying through the air um, for like a year and a half at that point. Um, and so we, you know, putting two and two together, we realized like, it, it's really not that far off. So first, let's just let's just see if the tech works. And you know, Mark and I actually had no idea, but some of our employees just on a whim went to the 3D printers, printed out some parts, added some batteries, had a leaf blower, version zero, right there. And that proof of concept was like uh, what a year ago maybe now. And we turned it on. At first, we we're just like, why'd you do this? <laughs> but we turned it on. And we're like, okay, that's why. Yeah. Because it's it's so insanely quiet that that put out, you know, so much more thrust than anything else out on the market it was 37 dB at 50 feet. Give a reference of what that compared uh, to what? Yeah. So, you know, uh, the quietest electric leaf blower you can buy on the market, 57 dB. Oh, wow. Did not put out nearly as much thrust. Um, I want to say it, it was it was maybe, you know. 40, 50% less thrust. And we were, you know, 37 dB versus 57. So 20 dB difference. And dB is logarithmic. So that's not, that's not, it's not a linear difference. That's, uh, you know, every 3 dB is, 3 dB is a doubling. So yeah, we were huge, man. huge, huge difference. And when you think about like how, when you saw that moment, you go, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Did then, you immediately, uh, what happened there? You mean you go like, okay, we need to start thinking about this a little more. Well, we brought, we brought the team together and said, Hey, this is like, this is a really interesting concept and there's a lot of promise here. Um, and we know at some point in our future, we want to not just be developing drones for the military or sorry, developing propulsors for drones for the military or, uh, producing propulsion systems for civil aircraft, but we want to get into these consumer goods. So the leaf blower was this key unlock it like it, it allowed us to say okay the, the the thrust is solved 
all these other uncertainties, they're the same. The thing that we need to solve is low cost manufacturing. So let's just focus on that piece for just this leaf blower. And if we do that, like one, we'll have a product uh, that we can go to a bunch of these leaf blower manufacturers and say, okay, great. We can just, we can upgrade all of your leaf blowers and just completely change the way that your consumers, your, your, your customer base thinks about this. But two, now we've bookended the, the space. We now have like these really expensive, high performance propulsion systems for aircraft and this really low cost, but still higher performance than anything else out there, leaf blower. Everything in between that moves there, fair game. From stovetop fans, bathroom fans, HVAC systems, uh, wind turbines, carbon capture, all of that now becomes in our aperture. And so that's why we decided to, you know, pour, pour more time, uh, more attention into the leaf blower. Because not only are, are leaf blowers an incredibly, you know, interesting and large yeah. market, um, but the ability to just take what you know, reduce all of your uncertainty, and then turn all of that into potential market share, things that we can go and attack after that point. Uh, that was the interesting part. And so now we're, we're in this really exciting moment where we know, we really do know how to make these fans for, for prices that you and I can afford. Um, that any, you know, hopefully soon someone can go to Home Depot and find, you know, a leaf blower powered by Whisper. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we're, whether we even have leaves or not in Texas, sometimes it's so dry we're buying one. Uh, You'd be surprised. A chance, no, there are a ton, man. Literally people, <laughs> it, it's not just leaves. I mean, you go to a bodega in New York and you'll find people with leaf blowers cleaning out the, a bodega for whatever reason. Or you go to the <laughs> car. And sweeping, it, yeah. it, the weirdest use case, even car enthusiasts using leaf blowers oh, to help wrap. Yeah. Oh, well, wrap. Yeah, yeah. So that was my thought initially. Yeah. Like, uh, this guy on our team really loves cars. I'm like, yeah, the car car community would buy a bunch of these. I'm like, okay, for for drying, no. When they're you know, using wraps on their car, sometimes they use leaf blowers to make sure that there's no bubbles. Wow, like, man. I didn't so there's huge, huge, crazy use cases for just moving air, um, and I think we're gonna we're gonna hopefully in the next few years find as many applications to slot into and partner with the best to bring products to life that people really love that requires a level of humbleism humbleism humility <laughs> did i make up a word hey look maybe that'll be the core value of this hero humble innovation <laughs> clean power thrust quiet humbleism um but when you think about the humility that's required to understand that being that full spectrum offering to people because there's a lot of folks in your chair man it would be like no nah, no nah, we don't play there we make these awesome things fly that's what we do the the the, the other folks can deal with the the scraps sure but we're not worrying about that we're, we're trying to create you know we're trying to create the next thing it, where does that come from is that personality of the founders like how does that humility continue to that's strategic you said it i'm like duh but that's something that's got to harpoon so many companies. I just think about like, where's that come from, or how do you maintain it? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think the feeling is very pure. Like, Mark working at NASA wanted to change the way that we move and impact people's daily lives. I mean, I think if, if you really take it at its base, it's it's like, how do you impact as many people as possible in the best possible way? And you do that not with one product, not with just aviation. Um, you do that through it. A variety of products right every single day we we touch and feel and and experience 
products, whether that's a refrigerator or an HVAC system, air conditioning, fans on your desktop computer or uh, data centers that are using a bunch of cooling. And so when you approach it from that perspective, how do we solve for that? How do we make people's daily lives so much better? Then yeah, every product should be in your, in your aperture. Um, you'd be crazy not to. Yeah. So a leaf blower, like I hate waking up to leaf blowers. <laughs> I, I think, I don't think you go to anyone's like, yeah, I loved waking up four in the morning because my neighbor just decided he wanted to go clean his front yard like no that that is a problem everybody understands and it's also kind of it's it's a fan that everybody knows yeah and and you educated me on something that you're also telling me that like uh, hoas and regulatorily that's becoming more of an issue like even if you wanted to get up at three in the morning and bug your neighbors you can't without being a lot of places yeah what are you going to do about it that's right they're cutting out the gas blowers um, but even there's time-based restraints. And so even if you're electric, okay, you're electric, you meet the specs, you, the ANSI standard, so what? You still can only operate in this window. And you know landscapers are, are getting squeezed because they still need to clean yards and golf courses and places we all live. But you know they don't want to, you know, if you're in Scottsdale, you don't want to blow leaves in the heat. That, that sucks. Uh, but you got to get the job done and you're, you now have to use cleaner technologies. So the only way forward, you know, it's not with you know, marginally better technologies. It's like, you gotta, you gotta change the game. You have to be more efficient and cleaner and quieter at the same time. If you can blow more air and use less energy and still be quieter, that's how you win. Yeah. And it's not just gonna be for leaf blowers, it's gonna be true for HVAC systems and stovetop fans, and of course, airplanes. Yeah killer man so you talk about um we were catching up and we're walking around this facility and some of the other ones and one of the things that we were talking through is um i'm looking up right now for our listeners because i'm looking at how short these ceilings are for what you think an aircraft aero place would be thrust yeah. propulsion um and it goes along the lines of thinking about how it's been done in the industries so the rolls royce the pratt and whitney's the boeings of the world have these massive facilities right partially because they have to yeah so first part of my curiosity to you is, one, what gave you all the guts to even attempt this, right? There's so many just dug-in institutions that do this. Why did this seem like a good idea beyond that this is a mission worth doing? Like, what gave you all the courage to do it? And what I'm really trying to do is add value for listeners out there who are just like, they're sitting in bed or on their drive home. They've always had this idea, but they continue to harpoon themselves because they go... I'm never going to be good enough to, to outfight these other folks. Sure. How did y'all think about that? How did y'all think this is still worth doing? Sure. I mean, I think it, it comes back from, you know, an understanding that you have a perspective that other people don't. You are like the combination of your experiences. And when we think about like Mark, when we think about like myself, when we think about our broader team, this is a team that really understands how to design game changing innovations and has been thinking about and been at the forefront of electric technologies of electric aviation more than others and so you know we talked about humility but you also have to understand what your strengths are and the old guard as much as you know as much capital as they have and people power that they have and you know existing resources what they maybe aren't rich in is perspective 
and these experiences of this frontier of electric aviation. And sure, this is, this is now becoming more popular. More people are getting exposed to it. More people are tinkering and questioning. Um, but for us, we've been in the thick of it, right? Uber Elevate was this like proving ground to really think hard about, broadly speaking, delivery drones, air taxis, regional jets, electric on demand, you know, press a button, get a flight. Yeah. Um, and so recognizing that our perspective is different than other people, even if we don't have the same amounts of capital, we can use that perspective to go farther and to develop you know, strategies towards our tech development that others wouldn't think of, that are more creative. And so for the folks out there that, that are entrepreneurial and have an idea and may be deterred because there's, there's bigger players out there, you know, the big players, they never go away. And if it's not them today, or if it's not them tomorrow, it's someone else. So you have to put worth in your experiences, your perspective, and then as you grow your team, the collective experiences, perspective that you bring to the table with that speed, with that agility that you'll be able to have that these bigger institutions don't have to really execute on a vision that they, they won't be able to achieve and they won't be able to really conceive in time. Um, you know, there's very few companies like a Facebook that can go and, you know, take their top engineers and copy and create a, uh, a copy of like Snapchat stories yeah, uh, or reels, you know, trying to copy TikTok. But you know, copies, uh, copies are one thing, but they don't, they don't have the same kind of energy or perspective or persona as the original. And I think startups really embody and imbue are imbued by the energies of their founders and of their teams. And so that your team, your founders, your perspective, that really colors that in an original way. And you got to know how to value that. It's a, a thing that gives folks, at least, you know, I think it, that'll resonate with a lot of folks. It's still worth doing. And especially if you know that your idea is, you know, folks have heard, you know, folks long in the tooth in the industries go, there's always room for quality and sure. there's always room for speed and those kinds of things. And so I think that'll resonate with a lot of folks. I also think about the innovations y'all are creating and your competitive advantage you sure. have that you're creating even around just the manufacturing process. We were walking through this facility and you were saying, you know, the beauty of this, Joseph, is that at Rolls-Royce, they got 10 folks that have to watch this engine being craned up and this turbine moving and like making sure it doesn't fall Whereas here, because of the size of one of our, you know, the same, you know, we call these thrusters. thrusters, thrusters, yeah. One of these thrusters here. Electric ducted fan. There's a lot of terms you could use. <laughs> what is it? Electric ducted fan? Electric ducted fan, propulsor, thruster. You said y'all's part of y'all's innovation competitive advantage is that Tim, Susan, Lauda, anybody can grab this and help each other out. You don't have to be a qualified crane lifter to go work yeah. this thing. Talk a little bit about how a lot of the competitive advantage innovation is also in just how you do business. Yeah. Oh, I, I think like oftentimes with startups, there's a, a lot of value placed on the idea that, oh man, I need to have this really great idea. But like operations, how you execute matters a whole lot too. And especially when you take a really great idea and start to really wrap your head around every single facet end to end, that's when you start to get to real innovation because it's not just innovation of the tech, it's innovation of, of process, how you execute, and all of those stem, again, from the, the tech foundation that you build. So just like you were saying, these thrusters, they're not big, large fans like you'd see on a 737. They're small. I could hold in my hand. You know, if this was a real product today, we could pull one of these off, 
and if, if this needed to go back into the air, okay, snap in another thruster, make sure it's plugged in, do your initial test, you're, you're ready to go. There you go. And so it, it's not just from a, a usability standpoint on the flight line, it comes to a manufacturing standpoint, like you said. We don't need big cranes to take a large engine and have everybody stare at it and make sure it's not, it doesn't get dinged or hit something. No, I'm gonna carry this to the next station. And now everybody can rotate it, look around, you know, focus on the quality of it all. And we all become owners. Yeah. Right. It, it, you know, no, no part is too small. There's no excuse. You know, oh, I wasn't at that location staring at it while it was going down. No, we can all pick this thing up and really qualify and look and make sure that it's, it's up to spec. It, it is something that I would want to buy. It is something I would want to use. And whether that's a, a thruster, whether that's a leaf blower, whether that's um, you know some other product, a drone, um, there there is a benefit to being smaller, and we're going to lean into that because that is something that's unique to our our core technology. What do y'all see as part of technology? Can you share this part just to give folks context on? Not only is it smaller, y'all are innovative. Y'all also have a lot of just intellect behind what you've done here mm -hmm. behind making this thing better. What can you share about just to the extent that is what can you share about the design that makes this thing also superior yeah so again cleaner quieter more efficient um thrust and we knew that quiet was this key to scale so uh, the first question that led to the tech was okay well how do you make this so quiet that it really can layer into your everyday life and the way we solved that is we took this electric ducted fan we knew ducted would be quieter than open rotor but we proved it eventually. Um, but we, we said, okay, let's figure out how we can actually isolate and measure all of these different noise sources. Let's take those noise sources and then minimize them all. So just fundamentally, everything's already quieter. And then take the most apparent things that your ear would pick up on, like the tone of the fan rotating, you know, the aerodynamic components. Take that blade passage frequency tone and then push it into the ultrasonic so that you you physically can't hear it, mm -hmm. but that your, your dogs, your cats, your pets still don't mind. And that's what led us to this high blade count tensioned fan system. And why, when you look at our fans, there's way more blades than you would see in a fan on a 737 or a fan that you would see on a hobby drone or even your DJI that may be, you know, one, two, three bladed. Mm -hmm. um, I guess nobody's really buying one bladed props, but uh, two, <laughs> hey, three, four. Yeah. Hey, I make up words, you make up props, man. We yeah. make this thing humblism. Work. Yeah, humblism. <laughs> Call it the humblism prop. <laughs> but you know, yeah, you're. Right. It's uh, it's amazing to see in person. Is is how this? It's it's such a when you explain it, it's like that makes a ton of sense. But it's odd to me that you know that something like that can go so far. Just being able to add more of these blades within there and being able to. Um, make this thing quieter. There's this idea, you know, when you, if and when you take a propulsion class, there's this idea of an actuator disc, right? Uh, and if you think about, you know, any kind of fan that you have, the way that you're generating thrust is you're pulling in air and then there's a pressure difference, but you know, from the begin, the, the front of the fan to the uh, aft end of the fan. And, you know, in, in these classes, when you learn about an actuator disc, you're, you're not worrying about the shape of the blades or what the blades are doing to the air. You just assume that there's this flat, infinite plane surface or circular surface where the air comes in. And then there's this immediate pressure jump from the, the front of the fan to the aft of the fan. And so then 
you take that, that's your like theoretical best. And, you know, traditionally people would get, okay, I'm going to design an open rotor or a propeller uh, or even a ducted fan system to go, you know, get as close as possible to that pressure rise. And what we've done by going to this high blade count, you know, if we had an infinite amount of blades, we would have effectively had that disc, that actuator disc, but mm -hmm. you can't. As much as you try, just even having uh, 100 blades is tough. And so we figure out, you know, really, how can you get to that high blade count? And when you get to that high blade count, it really starts to mimic that actuator disc like you see. So for a small fan and a large fan, whatever, as, as long as it's using our core technology, we can get to these like over 90% fan efficiencies that is just unheard of. Um, that's, you know, the GEs and Pratts of the world have to scale their engines as large as what you see on a 737 or a 777 or a 787 to truly get to over 90% fan efficiency. Whereas yeah. we can do that in a package this small. It's, I mean, it, it is unreal to see in practice, even as you're allowing us to kind of move and rotate these things, you, you just feel the difference. Yeah. I mean, it is, that is definitively different. It's smoother and there's just something silky about the way that it operates. Yes. It's amazing, man. Yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, the innovation just, you start to stack it up Yeah, where, yeah, the blades are one thing. Sure. But the motors, there's, there's a lot of innovation that can go into your motors. How do you reduce the cogging torque? How do you make sure that actually when the fan is no longer your noisiest component and now the electric motor is your, your, the thing that your ear picks up, how do you make that quiet? And how do you make that, uh, you know, the structure holding all of that together more robust? Um, and then how can you package all of that much tighter and integrate it on a wing or in other products in the way that the tech wants to be integrated and not just try and hang it off a wing like you see on a, a traditional airplane today? All these questions, you know, if you have the curiosity to ask the questions and the means to answer them, that's how you get to these, uh, you know, really interesting insights and then, you know, innovate. Where do you see Whisper Arrow? Where do you want to see Whisper Arrow 10, 15 years from now? What are y'all doing? Yeah, I, again, the vision is just anything that moves lots of air, we want to be a part of it. And so 10 to 15 years from now, uh, it would be amazing to have our tech in you know, aircraft flying every single day, whether that's a delivery drone, well, it should be delivery drones and people moving, yeah. you know, regional jets and maybe an eVTOL somewhere. Um, but to have these in data centers moving, uh, you know, air to cool off these, these server systems and HVAC systems, um, you know, adding these into carbon capture devices so that now you further improve the overall system efficiency and you're actually able to clean the air, um, including these in more compact wind turbines that we can distribute and integrate across our cities because now they're not creating this low frequency tone that just travels for long distances. Just being able to integrate this technology into our daily lives is, is the vision. Yeah, you don't want to be in, in everything, as you mentioned from the beginning. Let's switch back a little bit to Ian. You know, I love talking to tech, man. I could nerd out about this stuff with you for a long time. And this is a guy who's like a complete novice in this stuff. But I think being a gearhead, there's just a lot of things that I really can appreciate about what y'all are doing. The design is beautiful and just kind of how y'all are thinking about it. But think about philosophies. I think about the type of team you're building and running. Mm -hmm. Highly technical, super intelligent. Um, 
thinking beyond the norm of what a normal person that you know that we would meet any on every day would be able to talk about those conversations are really complex how do you what are your philosophies around leading managing guiding these folks right how do you do that best are there some principles you kind of live by especially with teams that are just highly skilled like this yeah yeah i think as a company we have some really strong principles so when we were writing the business plan it was mission vision values it wasn't you know how are we going to make the tech what are the, what are we going to do with the capital it's it's what are the core values that everyone at the team has to like live work by and you know if you if you align to those values then it, it makes everything easier it makes solving problems easier it makes having that shared perspective much easier so when we go and interview folks and bring people on the team we look for people that aim to win that know how to think end to end that can really like set expectations well and communicate them that are thinking about fortifying foundations so you know it, it's not just can i build something really roughly every single time it's how can i build something that will last and that i can scale that up from um, it's knowing how to lead and be led so even even as a leader there's times where you know i'm not i'm not the technical lead on on motors please tell me teach me um, versus okay i i know a little bit more about the strategy piece let me let me lead you here so that we can all collectively get to uh, this better solution um, disagree and commit that's a pretty important value to us you know how can we actually um, when we problem solve we'll always have different perspectives even with similar values but how can we know okay buck stops here we're gonna we're gonna all agree to to lean into this and if we fail we fail together but we knew we disagreed we committed and if we fail we'll, we'll still learn from that mistake um, there's just there's all these values that we we really do embody we embody safety yeah um, and we've built that into our our daily and our weekly routines and even when we go interview folks so that everybody is like culturally aligned um, and we know how to like really work together and once you once you codify that once you can like put into words what success can look like and how working together you know can really feel and should feel um, at least at whisper that allows you to find team members that you can succeed with and and you know, more than just succeed with but like live work play um, we've we've put together a team that you know loves not just building cool stuff together but you know after work we'll go and have a potluck uh, we can cook together we can go out uh, to the beach and have a bonfire yeah um, or have karaoke or you know go to a few bars and, and have a good time there too yeah so. no i i it's without being at the company and your team very long you can tell that you find folks who self-manage so that you can focus on leading or being led and i think that is the hallmark if i think about the companies that i've been a part of teams i've been a part of and observed the best ones aren't trying to teach them anything that or trying to instill values in them. they're trying to find people who have those values so they can self-manage themselves sure. this is where leaders get frustrated when they're like and people too they get they're trying to overmanage them they go, no, no, look, this person has got the ability to manage them, so that's great. And now I get to focus on inspiring them, leading them, yeah. vision, all those things. I love it. It's so refreshing, Ian, that you guys 
sat back and were as technical and NASA and Uber Elevate and Stanford and all the things, all the ed street cred y'all have technically, you go, number one is mission and values. Let's figure that stuff out first before we do anything else. Sure. Where did you learn that from? Was that a early day someone taught you or you just were like, yeah, I hit myself in the head too many times and realized that it, if I don't do this, it's not going to work. Where'd that come from? Yeah. So chief product officer at Uber, Jeff Holden, uh, he was big on values. And so, you know, the advanced programs org at, at Uber, we were able to make these big, bold bets um, and really just have these these wild or seemingly wild perspectives that on first blush seem crazy. Yeah. But when you look at it more and you question your assumptions, you actually get to build and get to realizations that otherwise would not be possible. And so, you know, seeing that seeing that environment and learning from Jeff and, and like seeing how principles, how really you know, good first principles um, and values can lead you to uh, making big, bold bets a reality. I, I think that was a, a strong realization that, okay, when we build Whisper, we need to start from values. Um, and it's paid off. I mean, I think we, we've built up a really awesome team. Um, you know, you really want a team that is, you, you can go hands off and they're gonna go continue to, to make the world better. And so everybody gets to bring their best self to the table and add their little spice to the, to the recipe and be able to build awesome stuff. And, and really, I think what we've shown, we're a big believer in, in, in showing, not just telling. What we show is, is uh, truly breakthrough. Yeah, no, you can see it. And, and the things that y'all are doing, that you definitely, y'all definitely walk the talk, man. Look, before we close out, I, um, I want to talk just a little bit about Tennessee yeah it's a weird place to have a tech company like this <laughs> it just is right and especially uh Crossville right yeah. I mean it's there's plenty of towns I drive through in Texas that feel this way you know it's usually going between Austin and San Antonio or something right um talk to me about just why Tennessee and you mentioned something earlier about some of the special sauce that Tennessee mentally like the mentality of the state has yeah that I think is long-term really good for it and good for tech. Because uh, you think tech, you think West Coast, Silicon Valley, you know, maybe New York City, maybe some stuff in Austin. Sure. So t why Tennessee? Yeah, well, let's break it up. Um, you know, there's a little bit of luck that happened at the beginning, and then there's a bunch of just good people and realizations that happen along the way. Um, when we started Whisper, Mark and I realized, you know, we would need a space you know, fertile ground to build the company. And especially if you're in hardware, one, you gotta make your capital last and your dollars go further. But two, you need the space to experiment and actually try stuff out. Um, and we had explored old laundromats in SF and garages in the mission and, you know, looked all over the place. <laughs> and Mark just found a really awesome, like a screaming deal out here in Crossville. Um, it, it's a nice town, people are friendly, people are, are, are honest. And this 20-acre property with 12,000 square feet for uh, office space, conference rooms, labs, testing space, as well as 28,000 square feet of, of units, of condos that people can move into, all of that you know, was a screaming deal for Mark and realized like could be the starting place for a startup, uh, you know, really awesome startup. And, and actually, a lot of this was uh, inspired by Joben at Joby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, um, Crossville just happened to be where, where this happened to be located, but 
um, luckily enough. A lot of really great resources, especially during COVID. So we're on a lake. Uh, there's a beach. Yeah, it's you get a killer bonfire. HQ, man. Yeah. It's killer. We it's didn't awesome. show you all of it. I mean, there's an 18-hole <laughs> mini putt course. Oh, my goodness. Uh, basketball court, tennis court that we convert to outdoor testing at Hopscotch. night. Hopscotch. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty awesome. And then we're five minutes away from the airport. Yeah. Uh, this new 40,000-square-foot facility that we're sitting in, that's five minutes away. So now uh, you know we're able to explore this. Um, and then even the people here, you know, it, it's nice to be a big fish in a small pond, um, especially when everybody else in the pond is, is really nice to you. So um, the community has just been um, so welcoming and helpful to us. But I think over time, as we stayed in Tennessee, we realized that it's not just a Crossville thing. All of Tennessee is really invested in our success. And there's a lot of resources, not just in Tennessee, but around Tennessee that sets us up. So thinking about the electric economy, a lot of big players making investments in Tennessee, whether it's Denso, whether it's Ford, GM, Nissan with batteries and motors. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of precision machining across the state. Um, there's Oak Ridge National Labs, who we team up with for supercomputing, and it actually is going to install a supercomputer like here. Oh, killer! Man. Yeah, um, yeah, we get the hand-me-downs, uh, which <laughs> hand-me-downs are pretty good. good. Deal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then even around the state, you know, there's a lot of aerospace talent that we can pull on. And we have from Atlanta, from Huntsville. Um, you look north, you've got Ohio, you have St. Louis. Um, and then increasingly places like Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga. There's just been this pull from the L.A.'s and the S.F.'s and, you know, the New England's and New York's of the world to, to come to places that are not so crowded and the cost of living is better and your, your dollars go further. And so that sort of confluence of factors, good people, uh, great resources, cheaper cost of living, influx of really smart, um, talented folks, uh, all that has made Tennessee a really great spot. And then from an entrepreneur's, like, entrepreneurship side, Tennessee as a state is doing something that I haven't seen anywhere else, which is as opposed to just focusing on a single city like Silicon Valley or New York City, you know, the state has invested in things like Launch Tennessee that is focused on many cities across the state and building a network, an entrepreneurial network, mm -hmm. so that all of these new businesses can rise up. And I'm hopeful that, you know, Whisper can be example of one of these businesses, but really many businesses after us will continue to rise um, because it's just an awesome place. We, there's good people, there's good food, there's um, uh, a lot of really great things going for businesses that want to grow and flourish. Yeah, I man, it makes me smile because you can live in a place like Crossville, and actually if you're the kind of aero engineer that loves living on a ranch and tending to their farm, but gets to go work at a really innovative company during the day, that's a really cool spot to do it. Like in Austin, I gotta, you know, there's plenty of ranches I wish I was living on, sure. but I gotta go make a two hour commute into town to go to work. And so I think that's excellent, man. Uh, there's gonna really be a need to see. Yeah, well, if our tech, you know, we can continue to scale Whisper, there'll come a time you're gonna be able to fly from Crossville to Nashville or Nashville to Johnson City I'm or Johnson City too. to Chattanooga. Yeah. You're gonna do it you know, same price as driving your car today, you know, per mile, per passenger, uh, but much, much faster.
You told me that earlier blew my mind. But after you started explaining it, it makes a ton of sense, man. And you, especially with these, y'all are y'all five times faster. Yeah. And you got all these, would you say 5,000, these like local regional airports that are being underutilized, right? Across the United States. I mean, there's 77 airports yeah. in Tennessee. There's all these underutilized like airports around us, uh, even here. And so just imagine, imagine turning all of those into functioning assets. Most of them just kind of sit still, but now you get to turn those on. You get to, you know, actually increase access to opportunities, to businesses, to things that people ordinarily would think like, ah, oh, I can't, I can't travel that far. Like if I'm in Nashville and I have to go to Johnson city, yeah, that's not an everyday trip, but what if it was, and what if it costs you less money? And what if now you can see your family, your extended family, on a more regular basis or what if now i can afford a house that's further away from the city and still make it into to work on time yeah and then come back home for dinner and to see my kids and play with my pets um, there's just a world of opportunity when the radius of your everyday life increases um, and it, it's kind of cool because at least in tennessee tennessee is a, a very wide state we're going to be able to prove that out uh with whisper tech in these newer aircraft one day and uh you know personally i'm i'm invested because i don't want to <laughs> drive back and forth from nashville to crossville for the next few years like if we can shuttle back and forth and do that uh in a sustainable cheaper way that's that is going to be awesome and yeah. save five times you know five times uh, faster yeah this vision of just like highways in the air and people being able to use them is instead of just for the big trip for you know to cabo or the big trip down to you know patagonia for your vacation a year use it every day you know you don't have to be wealthy to do it yeah flying people and things every day for everyone that's that's what it's all about even before we wrap up man this has been killer brother so i appreciate the time um we ask every guest the same question when we wrap up which is about your north star for us on our team, courage, curiosity is what drives our everything we do, how we treat people, decide to go left or right, decide to hold back, decide to move forward. It just mm -hmm. kind of is a guiding principle for us. I recognize with every great entrepreneur, operator, person, it's typically something that drives them or there's a North Star that guides them. What are those things for you? What is those principles for you or what is that thing for you that, that keeps you front of, that keeps front of mind for you? Yeah. So, I mean, earlier, I, I mentioned a bunch of the values that we have those those are already you know things that i hold near and dear um but i'll give you two more and they're not necessarily values but they're they're certainly principles i think about every day the first is just as a kid growing up my dad would say you know if you're going to spend time on it like really do a good job and uh regardless of whether i was a kid or whether like who i am now I think even now it, that that feels even more true today. You know, time is so limited. It, it's one of these resources you never get back. So if you're going to spend your time doing anything, try and do your best job at it. Um, and so I think about that every day when I wake up. I'm like, okay, let's let's go kick some ass. Like, yeah. Let's let's build some cool stuff. I think the second thing, and that this is maybe like a real realization from Whisper, is just understanding that the best innovations are the ones that don't compromise. And before whisper you know before really proving out the tech i think i don't want to necessarily say handicap but you know it always felt like we're gonna make these in, we're, we're gonna make these big changes and innovate and change the world but there's compromises along the way and it doesn't mean that there's not 
even at Whisper. But the real cool thing about our technology is it's cleaner, quieter, and more efficient. You know, anytime we go to a trade show, even like this past week when we were at uh, Equip show, showcasing this new leaf blower, everybody's like, what's the catch? You know, they, they see this thing blowing leaves. Like, I don't hear it. You got to be blowing less air. I'm like, nope, we're blowing 40% more air. I'm like, okay, well, what about batteries? Like, it's got to be a bigger battery. You got to be doing something else. Like, nope. Actually, the fan itself, way more efficient. Mm -hmm. that, that to me has just, it, it's a realization that you hear some people say, we're now living it. And so if you can build an innovation that does not compromise, that's, that's how you get to things that really change the world. Um, so to be uncompromising is really tough um, because there are so many constraints in our lives. Um, and there's so many people and perspectives, but when you can find something, a solution, a strategy that is uncompromisingly awesome, that's what you want to chase. And if you ever get a chance to work on those things, hold on, chase that, uh, make it real because that, that it's, it's just net benefit for everyone. And you know, I think you got a bunch of people fired up, man. I appreciate I hope the so. time. No, I mean, I appreciate We're hiring. I know y'all are, man. And so you got... Uh, you, uh, you have a great perspective, my friend, and I appreciate that y'all have a humble way of looking at something so cutting edge. Um, and the no compromise, you said that earlier today, and I think it's a fantastic way to think about life. If you're going to be here, make it count, like your dad says, but at the same time, make it really count. Make it like, really just count. make sure you get out there and make it really count, right? Yeah. So no compromises on that. Thank you, brother, for the time. We appreciate you and what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We want to hear from you. So do me a solid. Leave us a review. We read every comment. If you got value from what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a thumbs up, share it with a friend. Thanks for being on the team. We'll see you on the high ground. JC out.